Let's open up to Galatians chapter 5. We're coming to the end of Galatians 5. Half, that's fine. I got half of you, that's pretty good. <laughs> Galatians 5, uh, we, f- we made it through the fruit of the Spirit and doing sort of a deep dive into each of those, and now we're on the, uh, the back end of the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, his words right before we pivot into his last exhortation in chapter 6. So I'm going to read from 16 through the end of the chapter. So this is Galatians 5, 16. This is the word of the Lord, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so my thoughts are still forming on this passage of Scripture. Something occurred to me as I was staring out the window before class that maybe would be helpful in, in understanding what he's saying. So we're really picking up right after the fruit of the Spirit when he says, when the Apostle writes, against such things there is no law. Right. So against the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law that, that you know, uh, goes, would forbid you from practicing the fruit of the Spirit. Partially, I think what he's saying is, and, and I'm trying to, I've been trying all week to figure out how to say this best, but remember the Judaizers who are boasting in the law, who are making them consider these tiny little ceremonial laws that they need to add to their faith. And, and so their whole context is sort of law-keeping. And um, I think when the Apostle Paul says, against these things there is no law, he's, he's pretty much saying, look, you guys, are, you guys are looking through the details of the law to figure out your righteousness there's no law against these things. These things you, you will keep without sort of the, I mean, if you're in Christ, you keep it without even the threatenings of the law against it. This is the Spirit at work 
in you, okay? And so, um, but then I was also thinking uh, this morning that it's strange where he goes, right? If he, he says, um, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And so that last line there in chapter 5. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Well, that's, that's the boastful ambition of the Judaizers that have been leavening this church. They've been pushing. They, they, in, in fact, that's proven in the next chapter when the Apostle Paul writes, for those who are circumcised, right, the whole issue is about you need to, be, you need to believe in Jesus and be circumcised, believe in Jesus and do this work. Right? Those, um, for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Right? So that they might say, look at how many you know, people have been circumcised and are keeping the law of Moses in this congregation. Look at what we've done here. Look at the, uh, look at the works that are being performed in this congregation. Right? And so... That's the envying, the boastful, this challenging of one another that's happening in this context. And so it's really gnarly when we think of that. To think that this church would be boasting and challenging and envying one another over the keeping of the ceremonial law. Over, over food laws and cleanliness, over circumcision, over... Um, you know, just sacrificial adherence. And all of that was done away with in Christ. It is a complete misunderstanding of the work of Christ to go back to the shadows when Christ came as the substance. You don't go back to the shadows. You don't go back to food laws, right? Jesus himself declared all foods clean, Right? And so we don't have to go back to the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament um, as, as, a, as a means of holiness or righteousness, right? And so this church was getting split up um, by the boastful challenging of the Judaizers who wanted to come in and then report back home to Jerusalem that they had won over this congregation to the ceremonial law. That's a fail. That's a major fail. That's a major fail right there. And so, um, Paul contrasts all of that sort of ambition with the ambition that should come from the Spirit. Okay, and so that just those two comments is sort of a of an introduction. So, um, we've spent time digging into the details of the fruit of the spirit, and the fruit of the spirit, the fruit that is in all those who have the spirit. The spirit, if you have the spirit. That will evidence itself. 
There's no like, there's no holding back the sovereign spirit. If the spirit has regenerated you and lives within you, then this fruit will be uh, a part of your life. Now, that doesn't mean we don't, there isn't that the, the war between the flesh and the spirit immediately ends. It does not. That will continue through your life until you are glorified. Okay, but um, there will be a, an ability to say no to your flesh. There will be an ability to exercise patience. There will be an ability and an increasing ability to show kindness toward others. And so in your Christian life, hopefully you've seen the Spirit work those things into you over the course of many years or decades or centuries, <laughs> wait, no, um, <clears throat> years and decades, we'll just keep it there, right? And you've seen, you've, seen, you've seen yourself grow in love, right? When you were young, you had a uh, gravitational vortex around you that just wanted to get Give, 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 give. I need to feel certain things, and you're going to make me feel that way. But as you get sanctified, it becomes more, I want to give. I want to, I want to give. I want to love. I want to um, help others know the love and feel the love of Christ. And so it becomes more, hopefully, about giving than receiving, Right? And your concern becomes more about others than about yourself. And in fact, you're even willing to lay down your life for yourself. I mean, lay down your life for others, for their sake. You give up your ambitions so that somebody else might excel. And you, hopefully over the course of your Christian life, your joy increases as you more and more understand exactly what Christ has done for you and exactly how many sins he's forgiven you. Right? As you get knowledge, as you get older, you, you more and more should recognize your sinfulness. Right? And yet, at the same time, more and more rejoice in the justifying grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for all of those sins. Right? Who died for sins you may not even be a, that, that you are not even aware of. And peace and patience and kindness, we go through all these gentleness, self-control, right? That temperance, that that, uh, that work against the, what, what our desires are should increase. And there is, th that's all good things. There's no law against those things. Pursue those things. The Spirit will inevitably make you pursue those things if you have the Spirit. Those without the Spirit can fake it for a time. Some for a long time can fake it. Right? It, it can be faked. Or at least it can be faked to somebody who's not that person. That person knows when they're faking it. But we can't perceive that. We just see their works, right? We see people's works. We see what they say. We, see, we hear their testimony. It's all outward, right? We can't know what's going on inward. But um, they can fake it. But honestly... Um, Maybe the unregenerate heart is so deceived that it thinks it has the Spirit. But I think most of those who don't have the Spirit, who are just going through the motions and faking it for some purpose, actually 
know that. They know it. But there's some compelling reason why they have to keep up appearances, whether it's for their parents or for their children or for their extended family, for the traditions of the family, for um, political position, right? I've got to be seen as a conservative Christian, so I'll go through the motions so I can get elected, right? I mean, there's, there's some, some ambition there. But if the Spirit is present, the fruit will be evidenced. It will show. It will um, be genuine, and it will show. Now, um, we remember that the whole book, right, it's been, you know, not, not all of you who are here today have been with us as we've gone through this book over the last 30 weeks or so. But um, the whole book, especially, you know, the pr- ch- chapters, couple chapters, three chapters preceding 512 in Galatians, he has been going after those who seek to be justified by what? By works, okay? And what's his answer to them? No, we're not justified by works. We're not justified, and that's a very specific theological term. Um, Declared righteous in the sight of God. That does not come about by you pleasing him through what you do or think or say. It has to do with whether or not you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is the means that God uses to bring us, to justify us, right? And so, he's been railing on those who are seeking to be justified by works of the law. And in 12 through 26 of this chapter, he's sort of turning from the legalists to the antinomians. Because the legalists are going to say to him, all these Judaizers, all these guys that are trying to get him to add good works to their faith, are going to say, look, Paul, if they believe what you've said in this letter up to this point, they're just going to go after their sin. That's all they're going to do. It's going to lead to to licentiousness. It's going to lead to that. And of course, that was the constant accusation that the apostles received, is that the the gospel of Jesus Christ would lead to licentiousness. That the doctrine of justification by faith alone would lead to licentiousness. That's the accusation the Roman Catholics brought against the Reformers when they were preaching justification by faith alone. It's going to lead to licentiousness. And so this part of the book is kind of like Paul saying, no, it won't lead to licentiousness because those who have the Spirit have fruit from the Spirit, right? And those who have the Spirit have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. And so, the Spirit does this work. And so, no, it's not going to lead to licentiousness. Um, It's not. Yes, that may be a a spinoff, but um, those who have the Spirit, they don't. Those who have the Spirit want to be holy. Right? They, don't, they don't say, well, I've got the Spirit, I'm good, I'm going to go live like Andrew Tate. They don't do that. They just don't do that. 
They want to be holy. They want to be like their Father who is in heaven. They, they fear God, right? The fear of God. That healthy, right fear of God. They fear God. They want to please their Father. That sort of filial fear that we should have um, before God. And so, in 12 through 26, he's sort of turning from the legalists to the antinomians. He's trying to refute the charge that the legalists would bring against giving up the law, that it would lead to license. So he's telling those legalists that rightly understood the place of the law does not lead to, the right place of the law does not lead to license. The law, remember, was never meant to be a path to justification. That's the whole point. The law was never meant to be a path to justification which is what the Judaizers were trying to make it. Just get circumcised and believe in Jesus. That's cool too. But just let's have a little Moses. Let's not create this divide between Jesus and Moses. That's how they would smooth it over. Let's not, you know, it's, you got to have that all together. And they were totally not getting it. In the end, I think he's getting the Galatians to think about the fact that there is no contradiction between the law and the gospel. If the gospel is rightly understood and the place of the law is rightly understood, right? If the use of the law is rightly understood and the, and the, the uh, graciousness of the gospel is understood, then there's no, no contradiction. Romans 8.4 says that the requirements of the law are fulfilled by those who do what? Sandy, 8-4, those who by walking by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, right? Those who fulfill the requirements of the law are not those who adhere to the shadows that have fallen away in Christ and going back, to, but they are those who walk by the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Right? The requirements of the law are not fulfilled by those who give themselves to the shadows that have passed away, circumcision, sacrifice, cleanliness laws, pharisaical religion, but that does not mean that obedience to the moral commands is superfluous after Christ. No, those who are justified will be sanctified, and their walk with God will be marked by obedience that flows not from the letter, but from the Spirit. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit will mark them as God's. Not by the outward, the fact that they have not eaten the hoopoe or pork, Right? The hoopoe is a bird you weren't allowed to eat. You guys know that? Ever seen a hoopoe? I haven't either. I don't know. But that was, you know, or, or pork, or, you know, that, that is not the way. Um, or the fact that they had been circumcised, right? That was not the way to show that they were gods. You would be marked now, not by circumcision, you'd be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you would see whether you were gods or not. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the 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 flesh is still active. There's indwelling sin that is undealt with, and God God leaves there apparently for a purpose because certainly God could have just perfectly sanctified His children who come to faith, but He leaves sin in us in order to humble us. And it's part of our sanctification, actually, is that process of having to live a life of repentance is humbling to all of us uh, if you repent. If you don't repent, then you're, you're not humble. Um, but there, there has to be, but as far as crucifying the flesh, so yeah, is it just one crucifixion and the flesh is gone, or is this multiple crucifixions where a temptation arises, and I say no to my flesh, and that is me crucifying the flesh. Each and every temptation, right? Will I say yes to the flesh and enliven it, or will I crucify my flesh and put it to death, right, in the moment? And the more we do that, the more we walk in holiness, right? Um, <clears throat> and so, look, the... Christians, those of God's elect, will show that they are Christians not by the outward marks upon their body or what they ingest by their mouths, but they will show it by the fruit of the Spirit. That's how it will be seen. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's how you will know and so the question, the question for each of us is, um, do you know this of yourself? Do you see this fruit of yourself? Is, it, is there spiritual work going on in your heart? Um, you remember in Peter's words that you know, he goes through all those virtues and then he said, if these are yours and they are increasing, they make you not profitable for the kingdom of God, essentially. If these are yours and are increasing. So there should be this growth. There should be this growth in holiness. Um, let's see. My disparate notes, trying to bring them together here. If you want to know who is justified, they will bear fruit. Okay? That's how you will know they are justified. You don't have to check whether they're circumcised or not, thankfully. Okay. Um, they will bear fruit. As it says in the following verses, 24 and 25, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Okay, The legalists are troubled that what the Apostle Paul is saying will lead to sin, and that is the frequent accusation against the apostles and the followers of Christ. 
What he is really saying, though, is that those who walk by the Spirit will come to them through regeneration by faith, and they will exhibit such a way of life. That is, um, that is to live according to the Spirit. And so there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> there is no law. I kind of think the Apostle Paul is bringing in the word law there just to enter into this debate with the Judaizers again and sort of take another stick to them. It's like, you find laws for everything. Well, there's not a law against the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of feel like he's doing that. There's no law against these. You're not going to find anything. You're going to, you just, you're, you're, um, you legalists, you know. And so where the Spirit is, there is holiness. Where the Spirit is, there is holiness. Where the Spirit is, there's a fight against the flesh. Where there's, a, there's an unending warfare against the flesh until glorification. Where the Spirit is, there's warfare and there is holiness. Okay? So the question is, who are the genuine Christians? Those who belong to Christ are those who have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Not merely those who have kept the ceremonial law, the law that appeals to them, right? The, the sections of the law that appeal to their flesh. And not merely those who sin so that grace may abound, right? That's who is a genuine Christian. The genuine Christian is not the legalist that, that likes the, the little laws that are keepable, Right, Like the Pharisees, they loved all the little laws that they could keep and then boast about. And then they're not antinomian. They're not like, okay, we know the Lord. I can live, I can do with my body whatever I please. And he'll forgive it. And that will mean that God is even more gracious than he was before because he'll have more sins to forgive. Wow, let's sin so that grace may abound. Here's another thing that I pull out of this passage. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ, those who belong to Christ Jesus, did you notice what it says there? Those who belong to Him. Um, you are not your own if you are in Christ. If you are outside of Christ, you are your own. Go about your way. But if you are Christ, you're not your own. You belong to Him, and so, you know, if He's justified you, if He's said, okay, forgiven, by your faith, forgiven, if He's done that, it's, his, his authority begins right there, right? And you belong to him, and what he tells you, you should do, right? What he has written for you in a book with 66 different books in it, you should do, right? That, that's what, um, because you're not your own. Um, you belong to Christ, and so belonging to Christ means that you don't get to live life on your own terms. 
Now, that is hard to get through our thick American libertarian skulls, isn't it? That's what every other place in the world is going to tell you um, is bad about Christianity. They don't like the fact that Christ has words for us and laws to live by. Right? And they say you must be authentic. You know, you must be true to yourself. You know, all those just garbage phrases that should make you want to vomit. Right? Just, you know, be true to yourself and follow your desires and, you know, follow your heart and your passions. What are you passionate about? Go after those things. But belonging to Christ means you don't get to live your life on your own terms. Belonging to Christ is like this. Here's what I want to do. Hmm, would Jesus have me do that? Here's what I want to do, and this is what I'm going to spend the next two hours doing, but hmm, does Jesus want me doing that? Does that glorify Him? Does that show some consciousness about His the Spirit working in my mind. If you are His, you will live as becomes a follower of Christ. You will keep His law, not as a means of justification, but as a proof or evidence of your justification. Okay, He's pivoting to that point here. He will show forth your justification by your keeping of His law and not living life on your own terms. But, I mean, think about this. How many times a day does this confront us? I really want to be practical about this. How many times a day is it like, am I going to go my way or I'm going to go what I know God would have me do? You know, this next phone call I take with somebody I work with, am I going to go my way or am I going to go what Jesus would have me do. The next, um, when I step into my home after a hard day of work, am I going to do what Jesus would have me do or am I going to do go the way of my flesh? You know, when I get in the car to drive, am I going to drive the way that God would have me drive or am I going to drive the way that I'm going to drive? You know? You only have an excuse if you grew up in New York City or Boston. Chicago, eh, we'll throw it in there. L.A., yeah. But really, this is this is the life of the Christian, and this is one of the this is the fruit of the Spirit. Is this this awareness that God is there, that He is watching, that He's a Father who cares for us, and that's the reason He's watching. And are we going to live as if that's the case, right? Those who have the Spirit should constantly be examining themselves and anticipating where their sin and flesh is going to draw them one way and where we clearly know what God would have for us to do. That's the life of the Christian. Am I going to let this come out of my mouth? I know it's sin. Am I going to do it? What would the... What, what would... What would... Those that Christ owns, those who belong to Him, are recognizable by their holiness. Not merely by their little conformity to certain little attainable ceremonial distinctions. 
you will be recognized as a Christian by your holiness and not because you have a fish sticker on your car. That's what the Judaizers were trying to do. They were trying to get the whole congregation to put fish stickers on their car. These badges and symbols that are empty of meaning, honestly. Right? And so, if you're helped by Christian symbols, there's danger in that. Christian symbols become our sort of you know, if, you, if, you, if you're a Christian and you like bling, like some Christians do, and you're wearing like, cruci- you know, crucifixes and crosses, and what you want, you want that to do the work of proclaiming you a Christian rather than your godliness. That's what you're doing. You lead with that, and, and people will assume you're a Christian, but it, it's, it's almost like a covering for your sin. Or it can be a covering for your sin. You just wear the symbols, but you don't have the godliness that corresponds to the the God that that symbolizes. Fundamentally, it is impossible for those who have the Spirit not to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. It is inevitable. It is inevitable. It must come. It must come in increasing measure. There will be pits and valleys. You know, that that increase may look like this, you know. There will be pits and valleys. You will fall into sins and you must repent. And God, by His Spirit, will grant you that repentance if you are His child. But there ought to be an increasing holiness in our lives. But really, what I want to get most of us just to think about is, is, you know, is your life a quest for your own desires and glory or is your life a quest for... God's desires and His glory? That's really the question. And that church, that Galatian church, those Judaizers wanted to boast, to boast in the circumcision of, the, of that church. They wanted an earthly boast. Right? They wanted to be able to brag about what they had accomplished in that church and they designated it righteousness even though it isn't. And, and they wanted to do that, but, um, but what about us? What about us? What, what ceremonial laws, what American ceremonial laws of religion do we, you know, incorporate into our lives, hoping, it, hoping that uh, it gives us covering or something along those lines, you know? Is your life a quest for your own glory or the glory of God? <clears throat> Do you enter into a conversation with somebody else thinking, okay, how can, I, how can I build up what they think about me and by what I say? Or how can I glorify God? How can I build up Christ in their eyes? 
right? You always talking about yourself? You always boasting about yourself? Are you always talking about your ambitions and what you know um, what you're gonna do? Or are you are you talking to other people about what God is at work doing in you? And really, what that lo- work looks like is. I'm a miserable failure, but God is at work in me, so there's hope. (laughs) There's hope. There's hope that I overcome this sin. There's hope that I've grown patience and grown kindness and love and gentleness and all these things. There's real hope, and and here's some times where it seemed like I crucified the flesh, and I grew, and I, I didn't give in. Praise God. That's good fruit. Calvin's sermon title on this section of Scripture is um, Our Lifestyle Reveals Our True Spiritual Condition. Our Lifestyle Reveals Our True Spiritual Condition. Examine your lifestyle. If you spend any time on YouTube following people, diving into their life and they're they're putting themselves forward as an example to be emulated right influencers we call them right if you give yourselves to them ask yourself what is their lifestyle what if what's important to them and why do i want to imitate this and is it indicative of, of an absence of the Holy Spirit in me that I would find that lifestyle attractive in any way, right? You have to assess. You have to assess constantly by these means. And if the lifestyle is one that does not glorify God, the child of God is going to be disgusted by it at some level, maybe after a time, right, when we wake up. Going to be disgusted by it. And then you find those that exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, and you're like, okay, that, that seems to be what a child of God is. I should emulate that, right? I should emulate that sort of calling and that life and that holiness, okay? So our lifestyle reveals our true spiritual condition. Um. Sin is dangerous, right? I often think we don't think sin is dangerous. We just think sin is it's the condition we live under. We all sin, you know, and it's true. Scripture says that. But sin is dangerous. It's really dangerous, and, and the reason I say that is what Paul says later in Galatians 8, 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Right? So if you're sowing to your flesh, which means sinning, giving in to your passions and desires, not crucifying them, right? If you're giving in to that, then guess what you're going to get a whole yield of? 
you're going to sow to that and you're going to get a huge yield of corruption and it'll be enough that eventually you'll be like, I'm not qualified for the kingdom of God. Because notice he, he contrasts corruption with eternal life in that verse. Right? Corruption and eternal life. And so I think he's, he's saying damnation and eternal life. Eternal death, eternal life. Right? So to the flesh, you're going to reap damnation. So to the Spirit, and you're going to reap life. Eternal life. And that's why I say going after sin is very dangerous. I don't know here who is elect and who is not. Right? All I see is your fruit. But if I see one of you going after your sin without any inhibition, right? if the session is looking at you and you're going after your sin without any inhibition, our fear is that you, you need to know Jesus, that you don't know Him, that you haven't even started to, begun to begin to know Him. Because if you did know Him, there'd be some evidence of fruit, of good fruit, and of and the first one might be remorse over your sin. Right? But sin is dangerous. It's corrupting. It's defiling. And when you sow to the flesh, you reap a whole ton of corruption. So don't underestimate the flesh. It must be dead, killed, crucified. And to what are you sowing? To the flesh or to the spirit? What are you sowing? To. What is your what is what is your what is this device sowing in your life? This one. Anybody want to look, look through my history this morning? I'll trade with you if you want. We can look at each other's history. And we'll find out what we're sowing toward, right? Either to the flesh or to the spirit. It's only Bible apps on, on my phone. That's not true. That is not true. And I have sinned with this. Way more than I should have. Right? It's just a Pandora's box. It's a labyrinth. So to, to what are you sowing? To your flesh? To the spirit? Um... We, we don't live our lives saying, what can I do or what can I get away with? We say, what would Christ have me do? What would my beautiful Savior, what would my Father in Heaven have me do? And that's how we walk through this life every moment. What would the Father have me do? What would my gracious God have me do now that He has set me free from my sin? What would He have me do? Well, he certainly doesn't want me to go back and wallow in the mud. But every area, who should I marry? What job should I take? What job should I train for? What, what should I say in the next conversation? You know, um, must I be honest on my taxes? Right? Um, should we do this form or that form of contraception or at all? I mean, every question comes down to, am I going to live to please God or to please myself? Right? 
and there, and we can we do an amazing job. Some some questions that's hard to figure out whether we're you know what God would have us do. I I honestly admit that some things it's hard to figure that out, but most of the time it's easy, and we put the blinders on, and we're like, not that. That's so obvious in my life would be good for me. No, I'm not going to look at that. Zandy. Well, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And that walk there is sort of a military term. It means march in form, just like straight, directed toward it, just going for that, um, that godliness, right? And, and that, to me, is habitual practice, right? Habitual practice. We have to get into the habit of pursuing these things. And, and yet, when we get out of our habit and get into the sin, the sin has this traction and will pull us back and will not allow us to, to have any habit of godliness, right? And so, the, so that's why going back to sin just once is so dangerous to us. Because that once can become years of indulging the flesh. Right? And so we and, and so the, the habitual practice of these things is what we need to aim toward. And anytime we do fall back, because we will fall back, we need to repent seriously. We need to be like, okay, I just got burned, and I'm glad I didn't get burned alive. Right? To take like the fallbacks really seriously. And then, by God's grace, continue on. And then, um, I'm out of time. Oh, okay. The last thing he gets here through, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. That's what the Judaizers had made that church into. It was a bunch of boasting people who were boasting in their works. Ugh. And so, that's the root of all of that is the pride of the Judaizers came in and just divided up that church. Okay? We don't want to be like that. We want to walk by the Spirit and not be proud. Um, those who walk by the Spirit should not be proud. They know they belong to Christ, and with that, they are satisfied. They have Christ. They don't have to win disciples. They don't have to win converts. They don't have to win you know, people into their camp. They've got Jesus and is is as much as they see Jesus in someone else, they're satisfied with that, right? Not trying to win, um, take, some, take some ground for their camp. Those not walking by the Spirit clamor for their own promotion. And that is pride. And so we, um, and if, that's, if this church is riddled by pride, then Galatians 6 will be impossible. What comes next? which is you who are spiritual, restore those who have sinned in a spirit of gentleness, lest you too be tempted. Right? That doesn't happen in a proud church. All right, let's pray. We've got to be done. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these reminders. Thank you for 
um, the hope we have in Christ that, and the hope we have by the Spirit living in us, that He is making us holy, that Your people will be holy. And Father, thank You for the times, the frequent times when we have seen Your Spirit work in us and head off uh, the flesh and its desires. Thank you for those, those victories. Thank you for those, um, those wonderful times when um, we do live to please you. I pray that those would be more and increasing and more powerfully, the fruit of the Spirit would be more powerfully manifested in all of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.